Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to experience the Gut Check Project, talking science, health, and innovation that you can actually use. But this isn't just another health show. No, no. We're here to have fun and make your time enjoyable. And you like to have fun, right? Well, while you are enjoying yourself, know that even though the GCP covers some health topics with healthcare pros, we are not your doctors. So use our show to entertain your mind and not for medical advice. And now, here are your hosts of the Gut Check Project, Dr. Ken Brown and Eric Reeder. Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. I'm your host, Eric Rieger, joined by the gastroenterologist extraordinaire, Dr. Kenneth Brown. I've never used that word extraordinaire on the show. No, you've once. never used extraordinaire. But I did so. today because we have someone who's even ex- more extraordinary than we are today. extraordinary We have a guest who's extraordinarier than <laughs> the way you introduced me. Well, uh, Ken... Wait no longer. Tell them who uh, who's who's waiting for us. Yeah, this is I'm absolutely thrilled because we have somebody that I just cannot wait to eat his brain and get all this knowledge. We are thrilled to have Chris Killam, the renowned medicine hunter, join us on the Gut Check Project. He has a career spanning decades. He has traveled the world in search of traditional plant based medicines, bringing indigenous wisdom to modern health science. He is an author, educator, advocate for natural healing. He promotes sustainable practices within the natural products industry. He is the medicine hunter and is the owner of medicinehunter.com. He is a TV personality, lecturer on many holistic wellness practices. He's been featured in top tier media outlets, and he has written 15 books. That's 15 more than us. That is, uh, Eric's been working on his first book now for 40 years, so. Um, Which do include The Lotus in the Bud and the Ayahuasca Test Pilots Handbook. He is, as I have read, a unique blend of David Attenborough and Indiana Jones. He (laughs) inspires people to explore the healing power of nature. Chris, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Ken and Eric. It's a great pleasure. And hey, you can introduce me anytime. You make me sound really good. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, hey, Chris, so Medicine Hunter, may, many probably already know you by that moniker, but kind of explain what it is that Medicine Hunter really does and then what took you there. And then we can really get into a lot of your knowledge. Well, Okay, uh, briefly, I go around the world investigating natural remedies. Um, You know, the most widely used medicines on earth are still plants and fungi, not pharmaceuticals, even though pharmaceuticals are huge. Um, And so I go to, you know, South America and throughout Europe and all over Asia and Africa and uh, remote places like Vanuatu and parts of Siberia. And I investigate um, natural plant-based me- remedies primarily uh, and help people in those areas uh, with trade to the U.S. and the European and sometimes Asian markets um, because people want natural remedies. So first and foremost, I, I, I work with companies, commercial entities, usually companies who are big suppliers of herbal extracts, you know, uh, and I go around for them on their behalf and I help to set up trade. And then on, on the market side, I do seminars and TV and radio and uh, any number of things, you know, presentations and podcasts like this to help to spread the word about 
uh, traditional natural medicine. So in, in a nutshell, that's what I do. And, and uh, if you have a question, is it fun? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of people have been drawn into following what it is that you do, because there is, in, in my perspective, you, you basically have chased down solutions for everything from ailments of headaches sure. all the way to where a lot of people get really intrigued because it's so foreign to them. And that's handling uh, psychotherapy through things like ayahuasca, et cetera. Right. How, how do you decide? Cause I think that if I've, if I remember correctly, it's well over 40 countries that you've done some very intensive study. Yeah. Um, how do you decide what type of ailment that you're going to go and pursue and how to engage with the kind of people that are doing the best with that? Well, I may be pursuing an ailment or I may be, be pursuing a health need. Okay. Okay. Um, if, for example, rhodiola rosea, which is a, a root that comes from Asia, uh, it enhances mental clarity. Now, it also helps to treat depression, and we know this from clinical studies. But I tend to uh, work in a marketplace in which we can't make medicinal claims, but we can say enhances mental clarity, short-term and long-term recall, executive function, et cetera. We can say that kind of thing because that's not curative. Um, but basically, I, I go by a number of factors. Sometimes companies say to me, and they say, we would like it if you'd consider getting involved with such and such herb. And if I investigate it and say, yeah, you know, this this is an herb with a great traditional use and great science and, um, you know, something that meets a real and significant modern need, then I'm happy to go investigate that. Um, so... You know, it can really vary tremendously. And, and as you know, there are also trends. Um, sometimes you have stronger trends when like during COVID, everybody wanted something for immunity. And there are fortunately many clinically verified immune enhancing botanicals. So I worked some on that chain of trade. So sometimes it's current need or current popularity. Um, uh I won't popularize a plant that is endangered. I won't popularize a plant that's uh, in, in such short supply that most people won't be able to get it. I just won't do that. I was in Siberia and uh, I was introduced to a root that had spectacular science for reducing the size of an enlarged prostate. But it takes 15 years to grow and it's rare. And I went through the science with the scientists and thanked them for their time and came back and didn't talk about it with anybody because there's sure. no point. So well, it varies. When, when you discuss an endangered plant, I think several years ago, I'd, I had heard you on an interview where you had discussed some plants that could be used for different medicinal purposes. Uh, you basically help also encourage the cultivation and the growing of those plants in other regions where it would be appropriate. Can you kind of speak to that? Yeah, sure. You know, mostly the herbal and spice trade is is really fueled on the backs of poor people who don't make much money at all. Uh, and so, um, you know, one of the... Um, I'm sorry, I just totally spaced out on that. Um one of the things that's important to me is can people make a real living? Can they actually 
survive on this and i am so sorry i just completely forgot the question you asked me oh no it's uh, it, there's a limited oh cultivation cultivation yeah. it, so what i was saying about them being poor is they can't invest time energy and money into speculative cultivation okay so usually what happens is a certain herb might get popularized ginseng for example and then at that time that the popularity is very high and the supply starts to shrink naturally, that's typically when you get people who start to cultivate. And I catch a lot of communities at that time when a botanical is becoming popular, its supply is short. So now it's not a risk for them to cultivate. And sometimes I can get companies to help fund that cultivation. Let me, yeah, that's something I wanted to ask you. This your adventures, like when you say, I was just in Siberia, can you, I, I'm always fascinated about how people built this. And so how do you fund trips like that when it could be a total, or, or it could not a dud, but you're saying, no, we're not going to mess with this. If somebody's well, paying for it, I'm, I'm just curious how that's all funded. The, you know, the, the botanical supply business is worth well over a hundred billion dollars globally. Uh, there's a lot of money there. And so there are, you know, substantial companies. Like if you go to a natural food store and you buy an herbal product in a capsule, somebody made the extract that's in that capsule, unless it's just a ground up powdered herb. Um, and it's probably a big company. And it may be a big company that does a few hundred million dollars of business a year. I tend to work with those companies uh, and they fund me. They pay me a retainer. I go around on their behalf and I explore these things. And almost all the time, what I investigate turns out to uh, be something that they can develop. Sometimes it takes many years before they do. The longest time was I found something very early on and it took 16 years before it went into development, but it went into development. So uh, I I get funded. I I completely forgot to be born a trust fund kid. I don't know how it slipped my mind. Like, what the heck? I mean, it's so obvious. But anyway, so I get funded by companies. That's great. Yeah. And you say that you're going out what we have seen. And so as Eric had kind of mentioned, uh, we're both traditional medicine, but I have become much more of a functional gastroenterologist and worked on doing some research and developing a product. And then now I'm like deep in the weeds of looking at the research on different herbal or natural products mm -hmm. and where the research is coming from and so on. And what I'm seeing, at least here in the United States, is it is a bit of an echo chamber in the functional medicine space, meaning berberine does this, stop. This is what berberine, berberine is used for, and that's it, and that's what everybody says. You're describing this uh, pursuit. I guess this is where the whole David Attenborough meets Indiana Jones. You are taking it from what it sounds like is a scientific beginning, going someplace and then seeing if it's a viable option. Is that true? Well, yeah. I mean, very often I know it's a viable option before I go. Uh, there, Right now, we're fortunate to live in a time when there are hundreds of thousands of excellent high-quality studies on botanicals. You know, when I got started on this an awfully long time ago, those of us involved in this were called the fruits, nuts, and flakes. <laughs> um, and the the biggest criticism was there wasn't enough science on these. 
Now there's gargantuan science on botanicals. No human being could read all the science on green tea, for example. It, it mm -hmm. just couldn't be done. Um, the sheer mass of it would be like reading Proust a thousand times. Um, so, so in fact, things have really changed. But yeah, I, I want to know if something's viable and or if a particular source is viable. Remember, you're buying from people. You're setting up trade with people. Sometimes I'm in really remote native villages and you got to take a look around and say, well, okay, if these people were to engage in trade, what the heck do they need? Mm. Well, they obviously need a solar dryer. They need certain conveyances. They need this and that. Okay, is this something that can realistically be put together? You know, the, the, I don't make a career figuring out how toasters work. I just want a toaster that works, okay? Most people don't make a career trying to figure out where their botanicals come from, how they're made. That's what I do. And um, the greatest reward for me is the people. You know, I go to Vanuatu, South Pacific. I, if I showed up there tomorrow, I'd have a place to stay as long as I wanted to stay. Happy friends who would greet me. You know, this is one of the most remote places on earth. Um, but I've been very instrumental in helping them with kava since 1995, which is certainly one of the most effective, stress-relieving, tranquility-promoting botanicals on earth. And yeah, you know, there is good science about nine or so human clinical studies showing that kava helps to mitigate mild to moderate anxiety. And some people take kava supplements for that purpose. But, you know, it's an agent of kinship and community in the islands. You sit around and drink kava in the early evening with people and talk and tell about your day and eventually wander off and watch the volcano lighting the skies above, you know, it's that kind of thing. So it's it's possible for me. Uh, I mean, I, look, I'm just a guy from the suburbs outside of Boston. I'm never going to go native. There's no such thing. But I go as deeply as I can with people. And, and part of the reason that I've been successful in this work is that I'll go as far as people want. If they say, hey, you know, you want to go swim in the waterfall, and I notice that they're all shirtless and barefoot. Okay, yeah. Who wouldn't want to go swim in the waterfall? And I'm shirtless and barefoot. And if they say, you want to do this? Yeah. And by being game and up for things and respectful and understanding that the people I meet are really the experts in whatever plant it is, rosemary in Morocco, saffron, maca in the Peruvian, you know, Andes, kava, rhodiola rosea, cocoa in, in the entirety of the tropics. These are the people who are the experts. Once they get that respect and, and that, you know, friendliness, then they can't show enough. And then that's the beginning of a relationship that you can kind of fill in the, yeah, they still need a solar dryer. Okay. We got to get them a thousand bucks of stuff so they can grow a few tons of, name it, uh, you know, at a time. But so when you talk about something uh, like kava, it's natural and it basically helps with anxiety, uh, allowing people to relax, to be more in the moment, to feel more like themselves. Um, the only people that I could conceive of that would oppose that type of work in, in anything would be somebody who would be uh, formating a uh, synthetic molecule, like is in big pharma and different things like that. So <laughs> how, how, and I'm just, I'm just guessing, how do you, for such a long time, find your way to get 
the the right investment, the right partners to keep putting you in a position because the way I hear you describe how I'm going to find these sources for these herbs, this is this is how you would hope that most people altruistically go into an endeavor, right? Yeah, we're going sure. to extract something, but how do we make certain that we're giving back so that this is not a a one-way relationship that just mm. disappears? And, and and if I may say so, it isn't even, hopefully it isn't even giving back. It's just sharing more fairly. Fair enough. You know, we've, we've renovated schools, we've renovated maternity clinics, we've funded schools, we've built a... Um, an internet cafe in the, in the most remote spot in the Andes. <laughs> you know, we had a dental boat in the Amazon for seven years. I mean, we've wow. done all kinds of stuff and it's not, um, it's not giving it's sharing, you know, it's, uh, it's benefit sharing, uh, pure and simple. And yeah, I wish that, um, I wish that all, you know, I, I should be quick to say, you know, I speak, to and at the pharmaceutical companies, you know, Pfizer, Roach, GlaxoSmithKline, Merck, um, others, you know, I get invited, I go there, we all have a good time. They know all this science. I mean, don't imagine for a second that they don't. They've probably read the papers more thoroughly than I have. They know their botanicals up, down and sideways. Good it's idea. just been hard to work with them for them because what they want is the patented billion dollar molecule and they don't want to make you know 200 million bucks on a on a line of of herbs that's not their game now they're starting to do that you know bayer and glaxo and centrum and you know a number of companies are actually putting out herbs and putting out herbal extracts and doing exactly what they weren't interested in doing years ago uh so i don't, I don't have a, a an antagonistic relationship with pharma, but I do know this, Kava scared the crap out of them. You're talking, you know, you know, I mean, we know that Kava works in the amygdala, the center of, of anxiety in the brain. We know this from pharmacokinetic studies. And that's the target area for the benzodiazepine class of drugs. So you're talking 36 or $40 billion worth of drugs. And uh, no, do they want scientific double-blind placebo-controlled human clinical studies showing that kava is every bit as effective at reducing mild to moderate anxiety as the benzodiazepine class of drugs? No way. So yeah, we, we encounter that. And Let there's... Me... Go ahead. Oh, I was just... I want to key in on that a little bit and just a sidestep. The, um, where was it that you went to get the kava again? What was the country? Uh, uh, well, Vanuatu, South Pacific, which if you go to Australia and then hang a right and fly three hours east, you'll you'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Just drop in, man. <laughs> as long as we say that we know you, we're golden, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I, actually, I was there. Uh, I was a consular representative of Vanuatu to the U.S. for a few years. So, yeah, they know me. They, okay. people, awesome. in that, people in that country actually know me, which is kind of sweet. So you are probably the only person that I could ask this to. So you embed yourself in these cultures and you're talking about the people in Vanuatu that use kava as a socialization, as they get together. They probably have done this over multiple generations. Oh, at least millennia. 
at least millennia. So when you talk about how pharma is looking at kava and it could be a bit of a threat, let me tell you my experience specifically with kava. Mm -hmm. So I, as a gastroenterologist, when we go to our national meetings, which are 99.9% put on by big pharma dollars. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So there's always some sort of discussion and it's, it, it keeps, it's a repetitive thing of drug-induced liver injury, Dilly. And it's always this knee-jerk reaction is your patients are taking natural and herbal products and it's killing their liver. And there's one of the biggest culprits is kava. Now I say this because it's the knee-jerk reaction that somebody shows up with liver disease and a doctor comes in and goes, well, you're on... 30 pharmaceuticals and oh and you take kava because the uh the blood pressure medicine and the cholesterol medicine and the diabetes medicine makes you anxious and you find that that taking kava you know helps wind down well it must be the kava that did this not the non-alcoholic boost right. liver disease or all these other things right so what i mean by you're the only person that could probably do this is if kava truly was hepatotoxic we would have seen it in the vanuatu people over generations going whoa hold on Oh yeah. You so, would have seen it you would have seen it at people in Tahiti, the Society Islands, Samoa, Tonga, Fiji, Vanuatu, New Caledonia, Papua New Guinea, and all of Micronesia. You would have seen millions and millions and millions of people who drink kava every single day of their lives in a far greater quantity than what you could get in an entire bottle of kava supplements every evening with no liver problems think about that i, so I do <laughs> i'm being told well yeah like all the time <laughs> i'm being told if you see kava on a list make sure you tell your patient to get off it because you're at risk of doing this now many of my colleagues will actually fire a patient if they choose to take a non-pharmaceutical agent uh-huh so when we're talking about this Let's just say that somebody shows up and they've got liver disease and it's kava is the only thing that they take. And possibly it could be related. You biopsy and it shows that it appears to be drug induced liver injury. But as you know, it's not the most ethical industry either. Just like you said, it could be. I mean, who knows what's actually been put in there. But hearing that you have been with people uh, taking things for generations with oh. no you know, with no liver, no liver damage or no other problems that a lot of these things, the thing that gets published in our journal articles is the case report of the person that had damage from this, not the 50 people in your clinic that you treated that, mm -hmm. that love it and have no issues. Right, right. And, and that is a prejudicial bias. I mean, I, like, I really like the New York Times, for example, I read from it every day. But they have had an ongoing, consistent and, you know, uh, immovable prejudicial bias against herbs forever. And so they can't help but only put out damning articles on herbs. And much of what they say, you know, like uh, herbs aren't FDA approved. Of course, they're FDA approved. Give me a break. They're an FDA classification of product, of health product. 
They are not only approved by the FDA, they're designated by the FDA. And it goes on and on and on. There are no safety studies. There are hundreds of thousands of safety studies. Um, you know, it, it is unfortunate that this persists. And at the same time, I, I recognize, you know, that it's just like people who wail and, and cry and scream and, and shake their fists in the sky, you know, for years and years trying to get gun legislature passed. And it never, never, never happens because the industries that, you know, are behind, I mean, the firearms industries are, are huge, just immense. It's immovable. Uh, the pharmaceutical thing is the same thing. So we're going to continue to face this bias. But, you know, because you guys are involved with gut health, um, I've encountered things that do help people with inflammatory digestive problems. Um, and one of the very best that has an immense body of science behind it is cat's claw or Uncaria tomentosa. In the Amazon, whether you go to Brazil, Peru, Ecuador, um, shoot, French Guyana, uh, you know, any place, the most popular remedy and the most widely sold remedy will be cat's claw in some form either as it's the inner bark of a vine that grows in the Amazon rainforest. And it shows very significant anti-inflammatory activity. Uh, in Austria, it's actually used as a drug. Um, I think that's the only place where it is used as a pharmaceutical. But cat's claw is remarkable. And people use it for every manner of inflammatory problems, for bowel problems, uh, for detoxification, for helping the liver, and it is profoundly beneficial. And the the disadvantage that herbal companies have is they don't have the dollars that the pharma companies have to promote, but we do have distribution. We have thousands and thousands of natural food stores around the world. We now have, I don't even know how many online shops uh, so it is possible and people persistently want botanicals and they want more of them every year. And that speaks to the fundamental and intrinsic worth of these products, because if they didn't work, if they weren't utterly compatible with everything in our metabolism, unlike synthetics that we either have to store or get rid of somehow, uh, if they didn't work, they would not be increasingly successful among a growing global population, but they do. And that's the thing that no matter the interest that throws themselves at us, they can't get around that fact. That reminds me of a, I don't know if it's a direct quote that you said several years ago on another show, but I remember that you highlighted why plant medicine for millennia has always worked and why there we are will always find, in your opinion, limitations to the synthetic pharma packaging, and that is plants, uh, fungi, etc., will evolve just like animals and humans do, mm -hmm. and we evolve together. And we have systems which mimic each other. Um, veins look like you know uh, water transport chains and right, plants, right, right, and 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 whereas the I think this is the word that you use, so I'll just stick with them. You said the Zoloft molecule will never change. It will always be exactly as what it was that was patented, and it will not 
be malleable to the changes that are needed by the people or animals or whatever that's supposed to be affected. And you're like, mm -hmm. plants will always change with the environment and time. Well, yeah. I mean, we have co-evolved with, look, we eat them. We drink their juices. We make homes of them. We wear their fibers. We use their aromas. You know, we decorate our homes with them and we use them as medicines. And you're right. I mean, you look at da Vinci's drawings of plants and humans, you know, following the veins in plants and then following the veins in humans and, and much, much more. And you consider that in plants, for example, antioxidant compounds help to protect the plants against premature destruction due to you know heat light air moisture and time and they also appear to help our bodies defend our own cells against premature destruction due to free radicals and uh you know so so we have these synergistic compatibilities because we couldn't survive without plants we could not live without plants and we're going to stop this particular podcast for a special invitation. This invitation is to join the Gut Check Project Raw Locals community. We all are tired of the bullshit where we turn for great information, who we can trust, and essentially, we want to put a stop to that. There's a lot of bullshit out there, and I know about that because I'm a butt doctor. We're here to build this community to bring trust back to you. There is a lot of shit out there. There's a lot of stuff being censored and it stops here with our community. And I'm a gas passer, which means I put this guy's patience to sleep. I know that you don't want to be filled up with any hot air. Ultimately, we want you to connect with us. Ask us questions. Let's build a community around trust. No more bullshit. So if you're watching or listening on Rumble, click that red join button in the bottom right over here and that will take you directly to GCP Raw. We're super excited for you to join. I mean, seriously, it's going to be pretty cool. And, uh, you know, so, but we can live without Zoloft and, and Zoloft or, <laughs> you know, I don't want to just pick on Zoloft, but you mentioned it, you know, Zoloft does not exist in nature, you know? And when you look at the most effective chemotherapeutic agents right now, today, treating cancer, Every last one of them is naturally derived. Uh, they may be derived from plants. They may be derived from marine mammals. They may be derived from special fungi like Creston and the maitake um, mushroom, you know, or, uh, or Uncariotomentosa, cat's claw, used as adjunct cancer therapy for reproductive cancers in, Austri in Austria. Um, you know, these come from plants. And, and, and we know from, it's funny, it's, it's always the grandmothers. Uh, what do I mean by that? When I, when I go to places and I ask, you know, meet somebody who's great, you know, knowledgeable, vastly expert somehow in plants. And I say, where did you learn this? Almost always my granny taught me. Sure. Women throughout all of history have carried this enormous body of knowledge and they go out and they find the plants and they make remedies with them and they administer them to their families and their communities. And this is a vast, 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 vast thing. And it also brings people together. You see, you take a pharmaceutical model, um, certain families or certain corporate heads will make just a ton of money, which is also true with some of the big botanical companies, but um, with 
with herbs, you've got, you know, with cat's claw, I mean, you have thousands and thousands of native people harvesting cat's claw and, and, you know, working with each other in various stages of trade. There's more opportunity for people with botanicals. And if they need to cultivate them, then that means there's even more work and more money available and communities can do better. And, you know, I don't I don't ever want to work on a project in which the communities don't benefit and people don't gain. That's not healing. If every, you know, people talk sustainability and stop me if I'm ranting, okay? But people talk sustainability, but what does it really mean? It means every single part of the chain thrives. It's not, hey, you know, so-and-so customer spent 54 bucks on a bottle of blah, 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 herbal complex, and now they don't have gas. That's not healing. Okay, if the entire chain of trade is non-polluting, if people get a fair wage, you know, when I go in my work, I go to some really remote places. And um, sometimes I come back and I'll say to companies that this is going to cost X. And they say, oh, that's too much. And then I say, okay, you go. <laughs> right. And that's the price. Yeah. Because yeah. they're not going to do that. Uh, and not to make too much of a deal of it, but not all of this is the most comfortable travel on earth. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to ask you, how many times have you gotten ill in these remote locations? I have gotten sick many times. I've gotten <laughs> tropical. I've gotten, I've gotten malaria twice. Oh I've gotten God. unidentified tropical diseases a few times. I got laid up for two months from something after I came back from a trip where I got 400 mosquito bites. Um, I've gotten some of the most humiliating and embarrassing bacteria induced diarrhea you can possibly imagine uh, in scenarios that just, you know, rock you to your core and from sheer horror and embarrassment. Um, you know, I've done it all. I really have. I've had, I've had, you know, falls, uh, injuries, um, you know, uh, get chased by pirates, have guns pointed <laughs> at me. Oh, no shit. I'm not kidding. The two weeks ago, you know, we were driving in Cameroon, uh, West Africa late at night. We should not have been on the road. We should not have been on the road. And I protested about that. But in any case, and you know, we came along to a place in the middle of absolutely nowhere where there were burning barrels in the road and Oof. a bunch of young guys, you know, and uh, spike strips across the road. And Ooh. we didn't get our, we didn't make our way until we gave them money, period. And that's the least of what happens. So, yeah. I, I, and, and I mean, look, for the most part, I, I love this and it, I'm privileged and I pinch myself Almost every trip at some point, I'll be in a boat with native guys or in a truck and I'll burst out laughing and somebody will go, what's up? And I'll say, I'm working right now. Yeah. And they go, oh, yeah, it's pretty funny. You know, everybody <laughs> gets the joke because uh, we're having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, people have been phenomenally gracious and kind and warm and welcoming and supportive and eager to show me things. And uh, I'm very grateful that I've gotten to do this work for as long as I have. Well, beyond just finding medicinal uh, plants to address common ailments, uh, you know, from gut health to headaches and, and anxiety, you've also 
gained quite a bit of recognition for helping people find either shamans or their availability to ayahuasca and different things like that. How did you also expand that realm of knowledge and connecting people like that? Well, in many cultures, um, you know, psychoactive or psychedelic plants or fungi are, are big deal uh, for healing, mm -hmm. for spiritual healing, for healing the soul, uh, for healing heartbreak, or for even for healing, um, you know, physical disorders that don't respond to other methods of treatment, you know, persistent stomach problems, persistent fatigue, um, you know, PTSD, any number of things. And I, um, you know, I've known, I mean, I, I first got involved with psychedelics in 1967. Okay. Uh, when LSD was still legal. Mm. Um, I mean, I actually took legal LSD, which I consider very good cred, by the way, just want to say, <laughs> but, um, so I, I have a, a long history with psychedelics. Uh, and I find when I go to different cultures, you know, like in the islands, I mean, kava is not psychedelic, but it's profound in its overall body mind effects. And, you know, you go to other places and there are other things in the Amazon, it's ayahuasca, a very profoundly powerful psychedelic brew that is made from a vine and from a leaf that are cooked together and you drink a little bit of it tastes terrible and you have a four six eight hour excursion and very often people are healed of things that that just didn't respond by any other type of therapy they've ever tried uh, so i after i went down and and I mean, I'd been going down to the Amazon since 97, I guess. But it was uh, 10 years later that I started drinking ayahuasca. And as soon as I came back and told people about it, they said, we want to go. Are you going to go back down? And I said, okay, let's do that. And then when we all came back and told people, everybody they talked with said, well, we want to go. And <laughs> You know, and the next thing, my wife and I were taking groups of people down to the Amazon, not okay. for any money, not for a penny. We always spent money, but we'd say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to this place. We're going to, if you need to get this flight, you need to pay these people this, you know, we talk them through the whole thing and we'd have 20 people and we would go someplace and spend time with, you know, multi-generational shamans who led beautiful ceremonies and a lot of people, I have really, I, you know, the word transformation is used entirely too much as far as I'm concerned. But I really have seen people transformed as a result of that kind of healing. And that healing we know from the Johns Hopkins University Medical Center studies on uh, stage four cancer patients. Uh, they took psilocybin and most of them had the most rewarding spiritual experience of their lives and what i've come to believe and accept is what i like to refer to as mystic healing i mean psychedelics specifically are agents that uh can promote a mystical experience the sense of the the ego self dissolving and being completely at one with all with everything in a, just a state of joy and bliss 
Um, and, you know, when people have that experience, what's happening biologically, what's happening neurologically, what's happening physiologically is detoxification is taking place. You know, ayahuasca is called La Purga, the purge, for a reason. You're most likely going to puke a lot. And if you're really lucky, lucky, you'll also have to run to the toilet and evacuate your bowels if you can make it. And some don't. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it, it's profound. And at the same time, we know from brain studies, these psychedelics enable people to create hundreds of new neural networks. Mm -hmm. And the reason that matters uh, is that if we have a habit, for example, I'm afraid of something. I got bitten by a dog when I was five and ever after I've been afraid of dogs and most of them are friendly, but I still have that neurological habit, that impulse. You know, I do ayahuasca, I do magic mushrooms, LSD, whatever. And all of a sudden I've got hundreds and hundreds of other behavioral options as a result of new neural networks. So these are profound healers. And, uh, you know, I more recently went to Sonora, Mexico, and investigated the entire chain of collection and and uh everything related to the sonoran bufo toad yeah. and so that's uh that's been the latest thing <laughs> before you go to the bufo toad which i'm excited to hear about that since you're there in the amazon and you've done these trips and you use the term multi-generational shamans I'm fascinated by how ayahuasca was put together. How did they find that? Do do the indigenous people have a tale, a fable, a story of how somebody figured that out? Um, if they do, I haven't encountered that. Mm. Uh, there were specific stories about many things. Like there are actually many um, origin stories about kava, for example, and cannabis, for that matter. But um, no, uh, it, but they all agree that the plants told somebody, mm. uh, you know, the the statistical odds of saying, OK, we're going to take a vine and there are like 10,000 vines in the Amazon yeah. and we're going to take a leafy plant. And there are like 80,000 leafy plants, just one of this, just one vine and one plant. We're going to put them together in huge quantity in a big pot and add water and boil them down for eight hours until we get a little sludge and then drink that and have visions. There was no such thing as trial and error. Uh, and and what I have learned from shamans being with them, and I've spent, you know, an off, I've been in the Amazon like 35 times. I mean, I'm not a piker in that environment. And I've lived with natives on the river and I've spent time with about 65 shamans and I, and I have a great love and appreciation for them. Uh, they say that the plants tell them they're not kidding. It's not a metaphor. Um, you know, I had my first trip, I was going around, I was living with natives on the river in Brazil and going around to shamans. And I met these women and they would sit with me and they would touch me with a little plant that had roots. And then they'd say, oh, such and such is happening in your life. And they were, they gave some real specifics about my work. They couldn't have known. They didn't know me. They didn't know what I did. They'd never heard of me before I just showed up. And um, I asked, I said, how do you know this? And this one shaman laughed at me. She said, I don't know it. Don't you see these roots here? And I said, yeah. And she said, I touch you with the roots. 
the plant knows the plant sends the knowledge here and then it comes here now do you understand and of course i said oh yeah now it makes sense <laughs> but that's the experience they have you know you take a perfumer who can detect blindfolded 3000 different scents try it try 30 Okay, you can develop all kinds of abilities depending on what you pursue and what your environment is. The native people were told by the plants one way or another. And we only have, oh, 1500 years or so of evidence of ayahuasca use. And part of that is due to the fact that everything rots and goes away in the Amazon. You know, there's very little stone there. So it's not like there are lots and lots and lots of remnants. Uh, it was actually pot shards in, in Ecuador that got us back 1500 or so years, or I think maybe 1500 BC. But so, you know, we don't really know who first decided to do this thing. That's a great story, though. That yeah. makes a lot of sense, because I thought about that also. I'm like, wait a minute. How did they know these two specific things? Yeah. Well, and one without the other will not elicit this this type of action it's true i mean the the vine by itself is drunk by some communities in the amazon and it does have a psychoactive effect but when you add the leaf which is rich in dmt that's mm. when you get the visions of ayahuasca and you know the visions may be very i mean may make sense the visions <laughs> may make no sense at all um you know, it's 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 a funny agent, but the mm -hmm. healing is undeniable. And I've seen people come away from a, a week of experience of that type and really go back home and revolutionary, revolutionize their lives, engage in things that they love much more, get into better relationships. It's been very rewarding to be part of the whole, you know, scene that helps to facilitate that. Let's let's talk about the toad because oh, yeah okay. I don't know what this yeah, toad is I, I want to hear about the the snow and toad and then after that there's there's something about these cultures that I think that may tie it together but let's see okay okay well there is there is a toad that is endemic to the Sonoran Desert so Western yeah. Mexico uh, and it's called Bufo alvarius or just Bufo toad and and these days most people just call it toad but um it has glands on the back on the back near the neck and down below and on the legs um that fill up with a particular um uh, basically a toxin all, all toads have some toxins in their skin to help protect them against predators and this happens to contain 5-meo dmt which is a profoundly powerful psychedelic agent and so, and it also has um, cardiac toxins and a bunch of other toxins in it, this, this stuff. And um, it can be squeezed out of the glands in a manner that is not injurious to the toad and then dried and a very small amount of it smoked. And you have a powerful, powerful, if brief, maybe 20, 25 minutes psychedelic experience that many people have also described as completely life-changing. Um, and we don't know how long this has been used. There's no evidence that it's a long, long, long time traditional thing. We really don't know. Uh, but uh, the Siri 
people, S-E-R-I, who are a community of indigenous people in that region are probably best known for their involvement with this. And I went down uh, last, oh gosh, I guess it was about five months ago now and participated uh, in uh, the collection of toads and and saw the squeezing of this uh, material and the drying of it and then uh, had a couple of ceremonies myself and and got to see a number of other people have uh, little ceremonies with this and I was very impressed. I mean, there are some people who mishandle the toads and so that's not okay and there's a real wildlife issue with that. But for the people who do it with great respect, it, it's a kind of a remarkable medicine. And so that um, I, I'm completely a latecomer to Toad, despite my uh, psychedelic experience elsewise. Uh, but I I think it's brilliant in many ways, and so it's been um, it's been wonderful for me to have a relatively new discovery in this vast field of psychedelics. Do you know if the five uh, meo DMT from the Toad? elicits a different experience than the way that people are doing DMT synthetically now? Well, 5-MeO DMT and DMT are are different in that 5-MeO DMT is stronger. Um, And and there is synthetic 5-MeO DMT, uh, which I personally have not yet done, and I probably should, so I understand. But you know, even though uh, you vaporize this stuff, it's kind of waxen in appearance. And um, that denatures the cardiac glycosides uh, that are in it so that you don't wind up having a terrible toxic reaction or heart attack or something. However, I know from consuming toxins in different situations that you do get a little bit of the toxins from the frog in addition to the 5-MeO-DMT. And it's pleasant. Um, are you, you must be familiar with um, uh, fugu pufferfish? Yeah. Okay. Totally deadly. Contains tetrado toxin. The amount that would fit on the head of a pin could kill a room full of people. It's deadly stuff. And yet there are fugu chefs who very carefully cut parts of the fish uh, I, I did a, a segment for Fox News a bunch of years ago. We we had a, a fugu dish. And about 25 minutes or so after, I got this very interesting numbness around my mouth. And I got pretty high, kind of two bong <laughs> hit high, okay? <laughs> and I was very impressed. And it was pleasant. And it it only went to a certain point, and that was fine. But that's all by way of saying, um, you know, toxins, uh, which I've had by other means as well, um, uh, do have a psychoactive effect. So what I've heard from people who've smoked pure 5-MeO-DMT and people who've smoked toad is that there is somewhat of a difference. And the ones I've run into prefer the toad. So from the Siri people at the Toad and uh, everyone in the Amazon that you've met to give you the stories of shaman and how they've d- discovered vine and leaf and down to Kava and all of the other places that you've visited over decades, what is your thought with all of these lessons being thousands of years old 
And what ends up happening is the, just the world advances with technology and how that might actually kind of squash some of these, which I find to be just incredibly more valuable than the technology that we're trying to develop. Well, look, it used to be that if you were a native person and a shaman was going to administer ayahuasca to you, you'd be either be in isolation in a hut in the jungle or something, or, you know, fasting on fruit pulp for a few days or whatever. Um, that was then. Uh, I I think that the, the people I spoke about, the multi-generational healers, you know, the ones who learned from, let's say, their dad, who learned from his mom, who learned from her mom, you know, however it works out, um, these people have incentive now to carry on this work because uh, they can support their families doing it because of the popularity of it. And at the same time, you know, they've all got mobile phones. They're yeah. not chucking spears into the treetops to catch monkeys to eat. You know, that's not what's happening. The world is changing all around them and they're changing too. So, you know, I mean, in Vanuatu, uh, the work we've done with Kava means that a lot of people now can afford outboard motors. And when you're going through treacherous tides in small boats, um, an outboard motor is like a total godsend. So, you know, these people are going to change with the times, but, but there are certain essentials, for example, to conducting an ayahuasca ceremony, ways to do it to enhance the experience for the participants, ways to do it to keep it safe, you know, sort of a beautiful container, if you will, mm -hmm. so that people can, you know, let go of any worry or concern and be in as much comfort as they can and have the healing experience they need these basics will continue but many of the traditional ways they're long gone i mean when i was uh staying the first time i was in the amazon i i lived with the ipishuna and krinikoru indians on the river for a month and did that twice and you know they were making their own fishing nets out of string they were weaving their own nets hey, you don't find people doing that yep i mean maybe a little but no, they go buy a net. So, well, that's, so yeah, that, that's kind of where I was going with that question is like, <clears throat> if it seems that what you've been able to do is reconnect people that are actually more connected to our natural space. And the more advanced a country is, the less they really kind of tune in to what nature is trying to tell them. And they focus more on the convenient, uh, information boob tube or the phone or the yeah. the internet or what they learned in a in a in an advanced school and what we find ourselves doing it's almost like repeat we're trying to reach back in time to get the better answer does that make sense well yeah it does it does and you know it, it's a a shop worn phrase but nature does provide and, um, you know, one time I, I had the, the, the most sick I ever was, I was gravely sick with dysentery. And I, as the expression goes, wound up in Kathmandu, Nepal. And I, <laughs> I was. <laughs> and this wasn't on Oregon Trail dysentery. This is real dysentery. Uh, this, this is lose 35 pounds of weight. Golly. This is bad. So I needed a doctor. And I knew I needed antibiotics. I knew I did. And they said, well, the only doctor we've got is this Ayurvedic guy. 
and I knew about Ayurveda, but it's like, and I, and I was kind of pissed off. I was like, no, I need a doctor, doctor. And they said, well, you know, basically they said, well, it's him or the highway. So I went to this guy and um, he was not reassuring at all. I laid down on a, a wooden plank and he put his hand on my belly. And after a few minutes, he said, I know, I know what's wrong here. And I was like, oh God, you know, I'm going to call the, I'm going to call the embassy in Amsterdam and get medevaced out of here. I'm dying, man. And he gave me this powder and he also gave me these little pellets that looked like rabbit turds. And he said, take a spoonful of this powder in water three times a day before you eat and take three of these each time. And I thought, well, you know, and, and, oh, and he charged me like uh, 60 cents. And, and so I didn't know at the time he was the head of the entire Nepal Ayurvedic Association and he was a, an Einsteinian Ayurvedic genius, okay? But I went to some little place to have some lunch and I did the stuff in the water and that was, it was pretty funky. And then I took three of the little rabbit turds and I had some lunch and uh, since I'd already gone to the bathroom about 120 times that day, I didn't need to go. And by afternoon, I didn't have the urge. And the fever broke. And the chills stopped. Wow. And I did it again in the evening. And I did it the next day. And he said, do it for nine days. I did it for eight days. But remarkably and inexplicably, and there was no placebo effect here, my friends. None. I had no faith in this. Um, I was cured. Nature provides. It's day, a matter of finding the right medicines. To this day, do you have any idea what it was? I know that in the uh, powder, there was burned ground conch shell and uh, bitter herbs. Uh, I don't know what the herbs were. And as far as the rabbit pellets, for all I know, they could have been rabbit turds. <laughs> <laughs> I did a segment at Pacific College of Medicine in New York on Fox. I, I was the Fox News uh, medicine hunter in 100 countries for like nine years. And I um, I went there and one of their remedies was a squirrel poop tea. And I'm Mr. I'll do anything on camera, pretty much. And so I drank, I mean, it just kind of just tasted like some sort of weak tea, but it was actually squirrel crap. And um, of course, I made hideous, hideous and tortuous fun of them. But, um, you know, who knows what it was? I don't know. That's great. <laughs> These stories are amazing. And I feel like this is if we could get you or we could come visit you and sit around a campfire and talk. You just got tons of these. Anybody ever approached you about doing some sort of uh, docu-series on it? You know, uh, it's funny. I have actually, I've been what's called taken out. Uh, that is shopped to the various networks repeatedly. And um, it has never happened. I mean, I did have a nine-year gig on Fox. And that was amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was magnificent we would do a segment you know i would either bring footage in from the field uh or we would do a segment around the five boroughs of new york and and you know we not, did a lot a lot a lot of work and um then that would go out online and then the next day it would go out on fox 5 new york and then after that it would go out onto the international feed 
So we had millions of viewers for our, our segments. And then I also, uh, I did Oz about uh, 15 times and like 500 other shows, but never, never got my own series the way you're describing. It just never came together for me. And, and forgive me for asking, but you're, you're in your seventies, correct? Yeah. You look like you might be 50. It's impressive. Well, thank like, you. Like, yeah. Thank you very much for saying so. But, uh, you know, I, uh, and, and, and I, I do, uh, I practice two, two hours of yoga every morning and have for 53 years. Wow. That helps. That helps, uh, a lot actually. Um, first thing I do when I walk into a hotel room is figure what furniture do I have to move? Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you see, here's the thing, whether we're talking digestive health, whether we're talking mental health, whether we're talking energy, sleep, weight control, um, if we can follow basic natural guidelines, eat clean, organic foods, non-processed foods, um, stay away from chemical additives. Don't do pharmaceuticals if you don't have to. Um, drink fresh, pure, clean water. Uh, walk in nature. Not everybody can do that. You know, 70% of the world's population is urban. I mean, that's a disaster for humanity and nature. Uh, but, you know, if you just kind of take care of these basics, you will have a healthier life. You know, I'm, I don't really care how long I live. I mean, I'd like to have a good long life, um, but I do care that I live healthy. Yeah. And I think that we can extend our health span. I mean, I see it all over the place. Um, you know, people who live on simple, clean food, they usually die of infections and, and um, accidents. They don't typically die of chronic degenerative diseases. Um, I mentioned to you guys before uh, we started, I spent some time with the Kuna native people on the San Blas Islands of Panama. And the Kuna are indigenous to the Panama region. And there's a group of them who are so poor, they actually can't afford to buy food. So what they do is they take bananas and cacao. That's Those are the pods that contain cocoa beans. And they prepare the cocoa beans, you know, dry them, roast them, crack off the little shells. And they take a, a pot of water. They throw in a bunch of bananas, uh, boil them and boil them and break them up until it's kind of all thick. And then they add a huge, huge amount of cocoa, just a monstrous amount. And they cook it and cook it and cook it and cook it and cook it until it's thick like gravy. And they drink five or so cups of this a day. And that's what they live on. That's their diet. That is the entirety of their diet. Eh, sometimes they get some peanuts and stuff. They've been studied by Harvard University Medical School for decades now. Uh, those people have no incidence of heart attack, stroke, high blood pressure, or 16 common forms of cancer. The Kuna native people who live on the mainland and eat a conventional diet, including processed food, have heart attack, stroke, high blood pressure, and those 16 forms, common forms of cancer. So it's not something unique to the genetics of the people. Um, so you look at something like chocolate, that's what we're really talking about here, cocoa, uh, being of such profound 
benefit that can actually inhibit the number one killer of adults. Um, we know that nature is powerful beyond our imagination. And however much we imagine it to be great and to provide us with the things, we still haven't actually scratched the surface. And when you look at the work being done with marine vegetation now, we know that the brown algaes have profound antiviral activity. We know that there's anti-cancer activity to be found in the toxins of many of the sea creatures that dwell on, on coral reefs. I mean, this goes on and on and on and on and on. And our, our best opportunity is to find those people who are still out there, who are multi-generational, who do have knowledge and say, you know, oh, what would you do? You know, I, I was hired by a pharmaceutical company to find a novel anti-inflammatory. I went down to a guy I know in the Brazilian Amazon and I said, what do you got for pain here? He said, <laughs> oh, oh, and he showed me. And I brought samples back to the pharmaceutical company and they started to test it. And it tested anti-inflammatory like nothing they'd ever seen before, inhibiting COX-2, NF-kappa B, 5 locks. It was beautiful. And they sent it to anti-inflammatory specialty laboratories around the world. And they were calling in the middle of the night saying, what have you got here? This is amazing. And then one wonk someplace found one reference in like an obscure journal somewhere that had been published years ago of mention of one compound in this plant that was kind of one of the, the compounds that they were really looking at hard, possibly having some sort of anti-inflammatory activity. The project closed down that day. What? Whoa. Oh, no because they couldn't get a patent. Hmm. It had nothing to do with healing. Yeah. It had nothing to do with this was spectacular. This was great. <laughs> this was thrilling. Wow. They couldn't get a, they, you know, the patent attorney was like, doesn't matter that it was in, you know, the Bulgarian Journal of Lavender Aroma in 1947. You know, or what? I mean, I'm making that up, but you know. I love that over. journal, by the way. It's over. <laughs> well, I read it before bedtime, but I'm just. <laughs> Wow, well, well, lavender does it is kind of calming, so I can see yeah, that as a bedtime journal. I know, I know, exactly it's true. Right. You know, I want to do this. I it it's I almost have to do this on every single show. At some point, this gets brought up, but you know, my research in gut health, uh, initially pharmaceutical, leading to natural, and then now it's evolved into the new frontier, which is how your microbiome plays into this. And mm -hmm. while you're telling me these things. And the benefit of some of these people, I can only imagine that you're not disrupting your microbiome with these other things. And what we do know is that when people take antibiotics and they lead a stressful life and they're showered with pollutants and they eat things, the one thing you have control over is what you put in your mouth, uh, disrupts your microbiome, then you don't even get the same benefit from these plants because these plants coexist with your own microbiome. And if you treat your microbiome well, you get the full benefit of these herbs and these different molecules. Yes. And this cycles back to the fruitless pursuit of the thing that's going to make you healthy. Mm. Uh, there is no the thing that's going to make you healthy. 
there is eating clean, drinking clean water, making sure that you're not taking in toxins to the extent that you can, knowing that infants are born with 200 industrial chemicals detectable in their blood at the time of delivery. Um, you know, it, it makes a huge difference. When you see people who they're living on manioc and fish and island greens and coconut and papaya and you know, some stream shrimp and some other things and you, and you know, rice and simple stuff and they're healthy and strong. You go, okay, all right, this is interesting. This repetitive consumption of good, clean, healthy foods and, you know, a lot of physical activity and walking miles and miles each day. I mean, if you went to a gym and you worked out all day, every day for years, you could not be as fit as the native guys in Vanuatu. Mm -hmm. They've been swinging machetes since they could stand up. They've been doing work outdoors since they could walk as toddlers. They've been running boats since they were three. They are powerful people with strong frames and good physical condition. And it is injuries, accidents, and infections that take them down. Mm -hmm. Uh, because they eat. I mean, you know, they eat really clean and really good. Um, and when you, you know, you sit with them, unless you're just terribly fussy or something's innately wrong with you, they serve you a meal of what they eat. And it's just magnificent, but it's simple and it's clean. So, yes. yes. Oh, it, it is amazing. It is amazing. You know, we, I mean, you're right. The the whole the whole issue with the microbiome is is um, it's extremely complex, and of course it it, it affects everything else. I mean, uh, Charaka, um, who was one of the founders of Ayurveda, said an unclean bowel is the root of all disease, and uh, basically the the notion that so much of what happens in the lower uh, GI tract can either make or break your health. I mean, obviously, there are other things that, that can matter. But, um, and, and by the way, just because fermented foods uh, are of great value very often, there is a drink in the Amazon called Masado. Uh, most people wouldn't go near it. You take yuca or some starch root and you cook it until it's soft. And then you take that and the water that it's cooked in and you spit in it a little oh, bit. Gee. <laughs> A woman, a woman, a woman typically spits in it a little bit and you let it sit for two days and it gets a little fizzy and it breaks down the starch in the yucca or the other starch food into sugar. And I have walked out of the forest having, you know, hiked for hours and hours and hours and hours and feel like somebody dropped a piano on my head and drunk a gourd of this stuff and then felt like I could, you know, swim the Amazon. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's rich with all kinds of interesting, um, you know, biotic agents. Um, who knows? I mean, there are so many, there are so many endemic um, yeasts and other friendly bacterial agents in different regions that also get into the food that help people a lot, in addition to avoiding substances that can damage the microbiome. That's Chris, awesome. Chris, I don't know how else to ask this, but uh, if you could forward a schedule of when you're going to go on a trip and if there's ever <laughs> an extra seat, I would like to go. 
It just sounds, I mean, whether it's I'm Micronesia, Cameroon, et cetera, it, is, it all sounds incredibly fascinating. And I feel like that talking with someone like yourself, your, your connection back to, to what I think a lot of people are just, I don't know if you can call it searching for or just wanting to connect with your, your avenue to see how people are thriving in their own environment, using their own traditional stuff. These are, these are fascinating things that I think a lot of people are really trying to find within themselves. Well, they are, they are. And you know, if you can improve your eyesight somewhat by eating goji, well, that may be better than doing $85 a bottle drops. I'm not saying that's necessarily so, but it might be. Um, if you're drinking Masato regularly, you know, which probably is never going to catch on here. Uh, <laughs> you're probably going to have very good digestion yeah, because of all the natural yeasts and everything else that get into it, you know, from your area. I mean, in, in the U S it just depends on what she looks like. Who's spitting in there. Well, I think that's, that's why if it, if it is to ever take off, I believe that your next career, Chris could be a Masato, um, sommelier. Where, a masado is being served in fine restaurants, and you come over and you're like, "We have our line of masados here. This now, one this is from one, the spit of a middle-aged woman. Right. <laughs> this one is from tapioca that's been chewed. Yeah, it's flavor. <laughs> it pairs very nicely with this puke bucket here. Right. <laughs> yeah. Be like, well, those all seem pretty expensive. This one over here that's four dollars. Where's that from? He's like, well, that's from the homeless guy out front. That's yeah, right. It, so. yeah. <laughs> right. 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 That's awesome. toothless Masato. Right. <laughs> oh. Man, I got to tell you, this is uh, you could talk for hours. The stories are amazing. The fact that you have made a career um, loosely cloaked around helping industries and things, but the purpose of going someplace, not disrupting them, but offering some things to augment a little bit like the outboard motors and things like that. Looking back, look how many lives you've affected and it's 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 a little bit definitely yeah i, I feel super inadequate that i'm just a butt doctor <laughs> hey we all have butts <laughs> we all have them um no you know it, it it is an enormous privilege um when i was first in the amazon and was chasing shamans we chased this legendary shaman we'd heard about named maria cena and it was one of those silly things where we'd show up someplace and go, is Maria Cena here? And somebody go, oh, yeah, man. Yeah, she left early this morning. You know, well, where'd she go? Well, she went to Duba. So we'd go to Duba, and they'd say, oh, yeah, Maria Cena. She's great. Yeah, she's the best. Oh, no, she's not in here now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we finally found this woman. She was 103 years old. Whoa. Time had shrunk her down. She was really, really tiny, and she had all her wits about her. And she sat me down, and she um, she looked at me, and she said, you bridge the worlds. And I said, huh? And she said, you tell people about each other. This is important for you to do. People don't understand each other. You have to do this work. You must tell people about each other. And um, she was this remarkable, remarkable woman. And I took that to heart. You know, I, I was in Vanuatu one time, way, 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 way out in the hills with this group of people. And, and the chief said to me, please 
take photographs of us. And I said, and I was going to anyway. And I said, why Anatole? And he said, we want people to know we're here. And it was really touching. Yeah. You know, um, I think that uh, when I when I give talks, for example, and I show images of people, maybe it's in China or India or, you know, uh, Congo or or Syria, wherever, um, and they they see this. I think that it does help to foster at least a little bit more understanding. These herbs don't come from factories. These herbs don't come from plastic bottles. These herbs don't come from the Whole Foods distribution center. These herbs come from people and cultures. And um, they're part of an ongoing multi-millennia evolution. And uh, if we embrace them and, and our science is good, because the science is amazing now and we can make standardized extracts that always have the same potency of certain constituents. This is amazing. This is, this is a breakthrough. This is a great time. And I get to be a person who tells others about this and it's thrilling for me. It really is. Love it. What an awesome show. Yeah. Chris, thank you so much for, uh, for hanging out with us today. This is, uh, I hope to have you back. This is, uh, and then you, and, got, and you guys can, are fun. Yeah, you guys yeah, are fun. Get gut check field trip sometime with Chris. Oh, that's what we'll do. Yeah. Our, our paywall locals community will all just show up and join you wherever you're at. It'll that's, be, uh, you know, well, where are you now? Dallas, Dallas. Okay. So you're not so far from Mexico. Nope. Nope. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. We should do that. <laughs> that's great that would be phenomenal chris where would you like people to find you or easiest uh, well, to find you if they want to know more about uh who i am and what i do they can go to medicinehunter.com uh i also have medicine hunter facebook uh instagram and uh linkedin pages uh, but medicinehunter.com it, it's too big a website and there's too much there but there are scads and scads of photographs from the field and it's fun to just like leaf through those it's awesome that is thank you guys you you've been really great and generous i appreciate it so much thank you chris killer thank you so much for joining us medicine hunter we will see all of y'all next time that's a wrap for this episode of the gut check project and we appreciate you for being a part of it be sure to follow us on your favorite platform for podcasts. You can find the GCP on Locals, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Rumble, and more. And you can always check out gutcheckproject.com to find all episodes and interact with the show. Tell your friends and family not to wait to get gut checked.